Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report Podcast, and today is September the 28th, 2023. It's been 3,502 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 217 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. It's also my first week of bringing you the most important news that impacts Ukraine on and off the battlefield. I appreciate your patience as we learn together. Today's podcast looks at the events that happened yesterday. You can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. There's no change from yesterday, so if you want to skip to the action report, I won't hold it against you. As a matter of fact, I won't even know, so relax. The repeated salt response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will continue to encourage Moscow to take additional risks, with the potential to cause an international incident that could lead to a military response. The Russian Ministry of Defense remains in a chaotic state, incapable of creating mission cohesion between penal units, mobics, conscripts, elite forces and proxy forces. The inability of Russian military leaders to stop the ongoing Ukrainian offensive and retake the battlefield initiative has put significant pressure on Russian chief of staff Valery Gerasimov, who has been in charge of all Russian forces in Ukraine since January 2023. Ukraine continues to hold the initiative theater-wide, and the number of combat-ineffective and combat-destroyed Russian units is growing, eroding Russian combat potential in numerous areas of operation. There remains a possibility of partisan violence within Russia after the killings of Evgeny Prigozhin and Dmitry Utkin. President Putin's stature, both inside and outside of Russia, remains in a weakened state. The perceived slow progress of the ongoing Ukrainian offensive, questions about the capabilities of Ukrainian military commanders at the battalion and brigade level, and ongoing anti-corruption measures highlighting the problems within the Ukrainian government continue to strain Western support. Western partners are still not meeting their promised military training, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. Additionally, Ukraine created naval parity in the Black Sea using asymmetrical warfare is not receiving the proper amount of attention in the information space. 
Russia will attempt to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure over the fall and winter, and the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, but the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in the Donbass. In Luhansk, near Kremenna, multiple Russian sources continue to report positional fighting and probing attacks in the Serebransky woods near Dibrova. These are not described as major operations, and there haven't been any significant changes to the line of conflict in months. Further south, in northeastern Donetsk, there was activity in the Solidar and Bakhmut areas of operation, or AOs. Russian forces attempted to advance on Hrygorivka without success. A geolocated video showed Ukrainian forces attempting to advance in the direction of Zaliznyanske from the ML3E40 highway, losing a BMP-1 infantry fighting vehicle and retreating. In the Klishchivka AO, heavy fighting continued at and east of the railroad grade near Klishchivka. The director of communications for Operational Command East, Ilya Yevlash, said that offensive operations in the areas of Klishchivka, Ozaryanivka and Shumy were ongoing. He added that Ukrainian forces are keeping a section of the T-513 highway, a vital Russian ground line of communication between Bakhmut and Horlivka, under fire control. Quick reminder. Fire control doesn't mean unusable. It means if you're on that section of road, always check your mirrors. This is free-range country with herds of kamikaze drones, artillery rounds, mortars and rockets fired by HIMARS crossing the road when you least expect it. Going deeper into Yevlash's report of fighting in the Ozaryanivka and Shumy areas, the Russian Ministry of Defense has periodically reported fighting in the Mayorsk area northeast of Shumy and north of Ozaryanivka. The three settlements form a triangle. If the triangle was drawn by a three-year-old, it's probably easier to look at our war map than for me to explain it. This is the first acknowledgement by Kyiv that there is activity in this area, and the fighting is likely between the Siversky Donetsk Donbass Canal and the T-513 highway. In southwestern Donetsk, what little combat potential the Russian army saved up in the Avdiivka AO appears to be exhausted again. In Marinka, Russian forces continued to try and capture the remaining ruins. The remaining ruins. I never thought I would have to imagine, no, not, not imagine, to see my land in ruins. And yet, here we are. In the Staromlinivka AO, there was a shocking event. The Russian Ministry of Defense and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine agreed on something. They both reported fighting north of Priyutne. In Zaporizhia, Ukrainian troops continued their operational pause. Multiple Russian sources reported that the fighting intensity has declined, but believe this is only a lull. Operational Combat South of Ukraine, or OCS, released a statement saying Quote, no signs of the formation of offensive groups were detected in the enemy's actions. 
the movements of forces and means between their positions continues, the counter-battery fight continues, and the enemy is actively using tactical aviation. End quote. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine said the current objective is, quote, inflicting losses in manpower and equipment on the occupying troops, exhausting the enemy along the entire front line. I know I sound like I'm on repeat, but there are only so many ways to say. Fighting continues along the entire axis from west of Robotene, the northern edge of Novoprokopivka, and along the Surovikin line following the 160-meter and 140-meter heights to Verbove. Russian sources are spreading rumors that there are plans to withdraw from the strategic city of Tokmak. We believe this is a psychological warfare operation, and the reports are untrue. Claiming they will withdraw and then fighting to defend every meter is meant to lower the morale of Ukrainian troops. Now to Kherson, where Russian forces are continuing their attacks. Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor, or OVA, Oleksandr Prokudin, said Russia carried out 109 fire missions on Free Kherson, firing 604 munitions, rockets and bombs. Two people were killed and one wounded during today's attacks. A business was hit by Russian shelling in the city of Kherson, and firefighters had to keep leaving the scene due to Russian artillery attempting to do a double tap. Artillery repeatedly targeted the emergency services personnel fighting the fire. Russia struck the grain silos at Bereslav on the banks of the Dnipro River with four Fab 500SE UMPK glide bombs. Shock waves from the bombing damaged the hospital and area buildings. Moving on to central and western Ukraine. Russia launched 44 Shahid-136 Kamikaze drones targeting southern, western and central Ukraine, with 34 shot down. In Kirovograd, NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, suggested that drones struck Bogdanivka. Kirovograd Oblastova Andriy Raikovich said, quote, the enemy drone attack did not bypass the Kirovograd region. Part of the Shahid over the region was destroyed. However, there are also hits. There were no deaths, injuries or damage to civil infrastructure. As soon as our analyst team learns more, as long as it doesn't break operational security, I'll share their findings. Now, let's talk about theater-wide events. Ukraine named three new deputy ministers of defense yesterday. Deputy Minister of Defense for Social Development Natalia Kalmykova has been the executive director of the Ukrainian Veterans Fund since February 2022. Previously, she was an advisor to the ground forces of the Ukrainian armed forces. Deputy Minister of Defense for Development, Digital Transformations and Digitization, Katerina Chernohorenko, is currently the head of the Army of Drones project. 
Since 2018, she has been the project coordinator for the Yemalatko Electronic Services for Sick Leave and headed the project to add proof of COVID vaccination to the DIA app. In Ukraine, the DIA app is a digital service which gives you access to your state-issued documents. For example, your personal ID, driver's license, vaccination certificates, etc. You don't need to have all that stuff on you if, say, a policeman asks you to show your documents. The app in your phone will suffice. You can also manage your taxes and fines through the app, or even register for social security benefits. Finally, Deputy Minister of Defense Yuri Jihir has consulted for the World Bank for the last three years. From 2018 to 2020, he worked as Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Finance. He has over 20 years of experience supporting economic reforms, social policy and fiscal decentralization in Ukraine, the Balkans and Central Asia. First Deputy Minister of Defense, Lieutenant General Oleksandr Pavlyuk, said that Ukraine has no plans to change the ongoing mobilization, which started on February 25, 2022. Quote, this is the task of every man to protect his state, we must prepare for this and be ready. We are doing everything not to increase the pace of mobilization, but you understand, everything depends on the aggressor and the front. Unquote. Russia has started building a railroad line from Taganrog to Mariupol, Volnovakha and Donetsk. Satellite images show that work on building a bridge over the Kalmius River has started. Quick assessment. If the project is allowed to be completed, it will reduce the importance of the Kerch-Crimean bridge and improve logistics if the Crimean land bridge is cut. The project also indicates that Russia has given up on trying to advance through Vogledar to secure the existing railroad line. If this line starts to operate, it could make the fight to liberate Ukraine even harder. The Bulgaria parliament approved the transfer of its expired S-300 air defense missiles to Ukraine, where they will be restored to combat readiness. What's going on in Russia? It's time for Mobix, mobilization and MIR. Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a law that bans state Duma deputies and other government officials from visiting the occupied territories without his prior approval. Wait, I thought Putin declared September the 30th as Reunification Day for Russia. And by Russia they mean the Ukrainian territories illegally annexed by Russia which Russia says is Russia, but we all know is Ukraine. State Duma deputies need Putin's permission to go to Russia, but it is Ukraine, but Russia thinks it's Russia. But you can't go to Russia, well, Ukraine, if you're part of the Russian government, because it's Ukraine, Russia, definitely Ukraine. Ruski Mir is strange. If all Russians altogether banned themselves from staying in Ukraine, everyone would benefit from it. The solution is easy. Why wouldn't they try? Russian state media reported the head of the main directorate of the Ministry of Emergency Situations for the Krasnodar Territory, Lieutenant General Oleg Valinkin, was arrested in Sochi. 
Valinkin has been under investigation for over a year for abuse of power and bribery. It is highly likely that the September 13th storm shadow missile strike on Sevastopol that destroyed the Ropuha-class large landing ship Minsk and the Kilo-class submarine Rostov-on-Don killed and wounded crew members of both vessels. The Security Service of Ukraine, SBU, reported that the Minsk was supposed to leave the dry dock on September 14th, and the crew was present for preparations. Up to 62 were killed and wounded. Our in-house analyst team could not verify the casualty number, but did confirm that the Minsk was scheduled to leave the dry dock, and the crew was present. The Russian organization St. Petersburg Club of Submariners and Navy Veterans announced a fundraiser to assist injured sailors from the Rostov-on-Don. Officially, neither Russia nor Ukraine claimed any of the crew were killed or injured. Robert Madyar-Brovdy, who we call the father of modern close air support drone warfare, released a video showing a Russian D-44 howitzer being destroyed. If you don't know who Madyar is, he created the first drone unit in Ukraine. He makes videos showing the work of the birds of Madyar, and he's famous for having a magic pointer. He points at something on the screen with it, and it blows up. He points at something on the screen with it, and it blows up. He points at… you get the idea. Oh, and he has a magic word too. Jaga Jaga. Check it out. Why is this video important? The 85mm D-44 was built between 1943 and 1953 and is still in service in 16 nations. To quote Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum. It's unclear if a lack of 122 and 152mm ammunition or a dwindling number of serviceable D-1, D-20 and D-30 artillery pieces caused the D-44 to come out of storage. If you're wondering, Madyar did use his magic pointer. Jaga Jaga. We end today's podcast with economic news. The Russian fuel crisis that started in August shows no signs of improving. In St. Petersburg, there was a sharp reduction in spot market prices last week, when the temporary export ban on fuel was announced, but prices have started climbing again. Yesterday, Russian President Putin publicly addressed the ongoing shortages and high prices. Quote, the economy of companies is a goose that lays golden eggs. We must treat them with care. This is understandable, but nevertheless, I would ask you to respond to current events more quickly. Unquote. In a sign that the fuel export ban will not end in days or weeks, the State Duma is considering a measure to ban the export of all petroleum products. While this may be an attempt to manipulate global fuel prices, the draft law would only ban so-called grey market exports. A distributor that buys diesel, gasoline, bunker oil or aviation fuel for a sale in Russia would be barred from redirecting their inventory to outside markets. Raman Nikrasov, director of the Ministry of Agriculture, reported that in some Russian regions, including Tula and Sverdlovsk, 
fuel prices rose almost 50% in two months. Eight Russian regions and the occupied territories are reporting there are critical fuel shortages. A story in the Wall Street Journal said that several top managers of the Russian state energy company Rosneft were sacked due to the continuing crisis. Despite a perfect storm of sanctions, increased military consumption and logistics problems, the firings were made because someone had to take the blame. Russia's energy analysts and oil industry experts are publicly warning that continuing the export ban will cause a worse crisis. The lack of supply isn't causing the shortage. Russia is swimming in oil. The problem is what is called the last mile. Pipelines and railroad cars can move oil and fuel to terminals. However, to get that fuel to gas stations, businesses and smaller airports, you need trucks, tankers and drivers. There are major shortages of all three in Russia due to the war. Storage for fuel isn't infinite. Once the tanks are full, you don't have a lot of options to keep storing more. The only other choice left? Start shutting down oil refineries. That will work until the export ban is lifted, which will cause demand to skyrocket. When that happens, if the refineries can't come back online fast enough, the supply will crash. We are not suggesting that the Russian military or people will run out of gasoline. But in economics, the bigger the change you make, the bigger the risk it can all go wrong. And that's what happened on September the 27th. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.